The Federal Innovator Podcast is brought to you by Accenture and produced by Government Executive Media Group Studio 2G. Change is all around us and happening at light speed. At Accenture, we see change as a constant source of energy and inspiration, and we're helping deliver the change that matters right now with bold thinking, tried and tested innovation, the best in technology, and a tireless focus on people. Learn more about how Accenture can help your federal agency put change to work and meet your mission. Visit AccentureFederal.com. Innovation isn't a solo job. In fact, it's a team sport. It requires internal collaboration and strategy, sharing best practices and what not to do's, and leveraging resources to ensure the best mission-oriented plan going forward. Exactly. Rarely do we find an organization transformed tech-wise alone. There's extreme value in forming and cultivating relationships in order to innovate. Not only are organizations turning to internal resources and partners enterprise-wide, but they're also building a network of traditional and non-traditional partners in government, public sector, academia, ventures, and startups. But how, might you ask, exactly are they finding these partners and creating relationships? What's the common language among partners? And how do you speak the love language of the decision makers? That's what we'll discuss today on The Federal Innovator, a podcast for and about the innovators taking on the biggest challenges in the federal government and making change that is more human, simple, and enduring. I'm your co-host, Tim Irvin, lead of Accenture's Federal Digital Studio. And I'm Stephanie Wander, Deputy Director and Senior Fellow of the Geotech Center at the Atlantic Council. Joining us to discuss these questions is Sandeep Patel, Director of DRIVE, the Division of Research, Innovation, and Ventures of the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority at HHS. Welcome, Sandeep. Thanks for having me. So Sandeep, let's, um, let's get into it. Uh, so you're the first director of BARDA's new division, uh, so DRIVE, Division of Research, Innovation, and Ventures, and you oversee a very diverse portfolio of health security innovations uh, that are looking at current and emerging threats. So uh, when you think about DRIVE and your mission there, what, what are your kind of core, how would you articulate your core priorities as, as director? Yeah, so you know, I think I think our goal, simply put, is to to usher in the future of of health security. Um, but I think it's worth un- unpacking that a little bit, and and probably a good place to start is to describe what BARDA itself is designed to do. Um, so BARDA, as you mentioned, the Biomedical Advanced Research Development Authority is is actually a relatively new organization, uh, about fifteen years old now, and it was really designed to to fill this gap in, in developing public-private partnerships to, to rapidly uh, produce um, uh, and make available uh, new medical countermeasures uh, in preparation for and during emergencies. So things like vaccines, uh, therapeutic drugs, uh, uh, diagnostics, you know, and other types of medical devices as well. And uh, DRIVE uh, is, a, is a relatively new unit within, within BARDA, and it's a two-year organization. And and you know, one of the things that we recognize is that, you know, as we look into the future and we and we think about, you know, what are those threats that we should be worried about in terms of, of um, uh, health security? So everything from uh, hurricanes to to chemical exposures to nuclear radiological attacks to pandemics um, uh, like COVID nineteen. What is it that we need to do to prepare? And I think one of the things that that's that's become increasingly evident is that there's a range of technologies and capabilities out there um, that, that we need to capture, that we need to develop. Um, that's really important to, to help bolster our ability to kind of withstand those, those events. 
Um, and so Drive was set up to, to do that, to invest in those transform, transformational technologies uh, across a wide variety of disciplines um, to uh, work and operate out of um, kind of uh, not necessarily knowing what's coming and being prepared nonetheless. Um, you know, I think we, we have this, 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 this broad kind of problem uh, with, with things like this where we just we end up playing a game of whack-a-mole. You know, the more we prepare for one set of circumstances, the less we're prepared for others. And, you know, we've seen a lot of this play out with COVID-19. Cindy, I think we can all relate to that whack-a-mole feeling. How do you break out of that? What do you recommend? It's really, at least the way I see it, there's two ways to get out of this cycle. And this is really what Drive is positioned to do. One is to, to ensure we're, we're set up to respond to unknown situations that that we have a, an ability to, to innovate on the fly, um, to, to uh, identify a problem that we may not have prepared for and be able to you know, develop a product or a solution or find the right innovators, fund them, bring them together, whatever it takes to, to kind of address that in real time. And then the second is, is really invest in the kinds of technologies and capabilities that aren't just going after one problem, but, but can really lift all boats. So things like, you know, things like, uh, can we better screen a set of drugs for, for a given uh, outbreak? Or can we make the manufacturing of vaccines faster and cheaper? Can we do clinical trials faster? Can we, you know, all of these things, I think, you know, what I would call positive sum scenarios uh, are the things that I think Drive is focused on, on seeding and, and trying, to, trying to help BARDA achieve better. Sandeep, I know this isn't your first foray with, with driving innovation um, using public-private partnerships and, and doing this kind of biomedical innovation. I was hoping you could talk a bit about your KidneyX Innovation Accelerator project, um, a little bit about why you think it's important to drive innovation that way, and then what was the process to really setting that project up and communicating with decision makers in government and industry to establish that partnership? Yeah, so that was that was uh, an interesting journey. So, so one thing of note here is that, you know, as we started the Kidney X journey, uh, you know, we started with no money, no mandate from any decision makers, um, and only really a little bit of free time in, in which to operate. And and I think what's important about about Kidney X and the and the problems we're trying to solve is that, um, you know, kidney health dialysis, the organ transplant system, um, these are all really complicated or just complicated enough that, that really nobody understands these problems uh, and rever- at least very few people understand these problems. And more importantly, uh, very few people understand what could be done about it. And so what we ended up looking at in this is, is trying to think about, well, what, what is a key problem that we're trying to solve here? And, and we started with this idea of, of dialysis and the, the fact that there are uh, a huge number of, of people around the country who, um, who, whose kidneys have failed uh, and they have no other options because they're waiting for an organ for transplant or, or un- ineligible for an organ for transplant. Uh, and, and their only therapy that they have available to them is to be on dialysis, which is a, a therapy that was invented decades ago. And, and there's been very little innovation in this space uh, since, since it was really invented and um, uh, made widely available. And we started with this problem and said, well, why isn't there something better? Why don't we have, you know, we've seen in, in hearts, we've seen in lungs, we've seen the development of, of amazing medical devices. 
that can restore functions uh, that are lost in those organs, but we haven't really seen the same thing in, in kidney. And, you know, we probed around, we looked around and we said, well, there really, a lot of people just don't know about this problem. Um, and, and, you know, decided, and there were many other stakeholders involved in this, but, but you know, it was one of those things where we, everyone didn't really come together uh, and make a huge deal of this. Um, and so, so we, we focused on that. So how do you go about bringing the stakeholders together and getting that focused effort you were looking for? You know, I was at, in the secretary's office at HHS at the time. And we also went around to our colleagues within the FDA, within CMS, uh, which is where Medicare uh, lives and pays for dialysis, uh, mostly around the country. Uh, we went to our colleagues at the National Institutes of Health uh, that are funding uh, a lot of research in this space. And, and what became quickly evident was that, A, the, the folks at, at, at Medicare who were determining payment policies uh, in kidney and the, the folks in the FDA who were fielding um, uh, requests, you know, from companies and, and looking at, at, at uh, um, you know, innovation in this space and the folks at NIH in this space didn't really know one another all that well. And so there wasn't this community that existed even within HHS around this. And so that was the first thing we ended up doing is, is just bridging all those together um, and, and creating that cohesive community. And then you know, working with uh, a key partner uh, that ended up being our partner on KidneyX, which was the American side of nephrology. And so, you know, we, they were brought in um, and, uh, you know, we all kind of worked together on, on figuring out how to move forward and, and designed this approach called KidneyX, which was, you know, recognizing that we needed innovation from a broad set of, of fields. We, you know, most people didn't understand the problems around, around what's needed to, to go beyond dialysis to, to invent things like implantable artificial kidneys. And you know, not enough engineers, not enough material scientists, not enough uh, uh, people outside of this very small niche space knew about this problem. And so our first goal was, how do we break this open? How do we define and describe this problem in a way that uh, you know, smart people from all over the place can, can kind of plug in and, and work towards developing these, these potentially transformative technologies? And um, yeah, it sort of snowballed from there. Yeah, I th I'm curious. Um... Sandeep, as you're describing this, there are, there are a few words that um, I think people wouldn't normally um, attribute to a, a lot of the great work happening in the federal space. And you mentioned kind of a commitment with BARDA to kind of rapid response. You talked about kind of innovating on the fly. So they're like the speed and resilience associated with, uh, you mentioned kind of not knowing what's coming, but you've got to be prepared nonetheless. So how do you, how do you bake in that uh, kind of the speed of response and the resilience. I mean, particularly coming off the last year, um, as you've been responding to uh, COVID nineteen, and you talked a little bit about um, some of the, um, the you know the orientation to vaccine uh, formulation earlier. But I'm just curious how how have you been able to bake in kind of the speed of the response and the resilience of the team uh, to to be able to be quickly deployed at interesting problems. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting and unappreciated problem, I think, and, and DRIVE is really built to address this. One of the things that, that is, is sort of core to how we operate is what we call the EZBAA. So this is a, a, what's called a broad agency announcement. It's, a, it's an acquisition contract vehicle that we have. Um, and it's our way of partnering with, with, uh, with innovators and entrepreneurs. And what's, what's unique about this, this model, we, we actually borrowed this from DARPA and retooled it for our own purposes, but what, what it does is it prioritizes speed 
and it prioritizes simplicity and, and customer service. Um, and what we're really trying to do is be able to capture you know, those innovators who normally find government funding to be complicated and, and cumbersome and too slow, uh, especially for a lot of these startups and entrepreneurs where, where days and weeks matter. Um, you know, the, the life cycle of these organizations are short and, and getting resources to, to you know, those who need it uh, at the right time is critical. And so that, that was the reason we set this up and it was really set it up and designed to, to go from a solicitation. So, you know, where we just sort of describe what we want to an award and a, and a partnership forming within uh, 30 days, really. And during the pandemic, what, what ended up happening, what we did was retooled all of this for COVID-19. I'll give you I'll give you a good example. Um, uh, back in in early March and uh, really February, there was clearly a need for for getting COVID tests uh, out to to people as fast as possible, and, and there wasn't a lot happening at the time. And what we ended up doing was leveraging this this Easy BA vehicle and opening up a whole bunch of, uh, of solicitations for COVID nineteen tests. And because it was designed to move fast and get to award really fast, we were able to make. Uh, over 20 awards uh, fairly quickly uh, within weeks, and uh, a lot of which went to, to EUAs and then resulted in over 100 million tests so far being shipped out, you know, all because we kind of set up that vehicle in the first place to, to get money out the door uh, very efficiently. Um, so I think, I think it's, it, you know, setting up the, the infrastructure like that is, is really key, and especially during the response. That's such a great example of, of how... Um how really the process can really enable the innovation to happen and, and the response to be really quick. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm curious when you're thinking about the different kind of constituents and any kind of thorny problem. So, I mean, when you think about um, uh, kidney discards and hundred thousand people on the, on the waiting list, um, like that is a systemic kind of by definition, a systemic issue to solve looking at the full ecosystem, all the different actors associated with it. Um, and I'm curious, like, how, how do you build or how have you been able to build a common ground uh, with folks that don't have the same depth of experience um, to um, maybe either know how to solve or know how to care about why this is the thing to do to orient around and kind of socialize in that problem space? I'm just curious how you bridge that gap with stakeholders with different backgrounds. I believe everybody has something meaningful to contribute. And the, and the challenge for us, for me, and everything that I do is to unlock that potential uh, to the benefit of all. And, and I also think this is what people typically struggle with. Um, you know, the question they always ask when they hear a problem is, well, how can I help? How is what I'm doing relevant to, to this particular problem? Uh, you know, how, what can I possibly do to, to make things better? And I think the, the, the simplest place to start in all of this is, is the problem itself. You know, I think Focusing on the problem is an easy, easy way to bridge because everyone can relate to the problem, even if they can't relate to the, the, the solutions that can often get technical. Um, and, and that's what I use to bridge bridge communities together and get people excited uh, about the possibilities. Um, the, the second thing on this is that, um, you know, I think too often we, we, we just speak completely different languages. Um, and this, especially within government, this happens quite a bit, um, you know, internally in government and then across stakeholders, um, you know, internally within government, you, you, there's you know, what I find really interesting about how government, how federal agencies are organized is that there are often these two sides of the house, the, the budget cost side, 
which is really focused on containing costs and meeting budgets and, and you know, that whole process. And there's a whole engine around this, right? And then the delivery side of the house, right? So meeting policy goals, um, you know, this is more public facing. And, and you know, in government, th- those two are often separated. And I think the key, especially with things like, like ambitious problems around kidney health, you have to, you have to be able to talk to both, right? Um, in order to raise money, but also to, to get you know leaders excited about it, and 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 so you know the words we choose are important. The the way we um, describe uh, and bring communities together. Uh, another thing that is very very uh, powerful that we did with with kidney work, and we we're doing a lot with Barda too, is is bringing patient experiences into the equation um, because it's hard to argue uh, with patients, and if you listen to the patients and their experiences. You know, I think it becomes obvious at least what the problems are and, and you can get people to agree around that. Sandeep, I really appreciate you joining us. It's been, uh, it's been wonderful to hear uh, many of these insights. Yeah, it was great to be here. So Tim, what jumped out to you? Uh, there was something you said about not knowing what's coming uh, but you have to be prepared nonetheless. So I think the ability to be able to respond to any number of things, and I think, frankly, that's a function of the last year um, where nobody really could have seen, you know, once in a hundred years event like the pandemic coming. And yet they they really feel like they've managed to kind of respond. I'm sure it doesn't feel graceful to them at all times, but it seems like they're responding to that gracefully with kind of like, as you mentioned, like assessing their you know, technology capability, but also being able to innovate on the fly. I think uh, that speaks to building fit for purpose teams and ecosystems and um, kind of being able to just be nimble enough to um, to respond quickly. So I think that that was one of the things that really stood out to me. Yeah, like you, I'm so struck by the connection between innovation and resilience. And it's always really impressive to me how people that I, I often that we often get to meet in these innovation spaces have that ability to to see the world and say, regardless of all the difficult challenges that we're facing, how do we find those opportunities? How do we see the world differently and what's working well, and like leverage that in solution creation? And that that just gets me kind of up in the morning and very excited when when I hear that that, that seems to be something that exists because people work in, in, and are prioritizing innovation. Yeah, agree. And Stephanie, what about um, knowing that you are um, master of the ecosystem? Um, like, what what were your thoughts on the way they've kind of like empowered those ecosystems and the way they're um, kind of getting the it feels like getting kind of getting the best out of them? Yeah, I you know I I think it's that really sort of secret sauce of understanding, you know, as, as we talked about, one of the themes from today was, was the love language of decision makers, right? So understanding what are the languages we all need to be speaking to one another and how do we sort of appeal to folks in their language. I think it's about trusting your ecosystem and your community. And, and then the third piece I just keep hearing is that human-centered component of how do we put patients in the room? How do we get the right stakeholders in the room? How do we channel the right talent? And being open to the fact that the right talent might not be in the room currently. I, I think that's one mm-hmm. thing that that really jumped out to me, you know, and, and again, that example that he shared about, about, you know, young college students having this new take, um, I think because they're in such a learning environment, right, sometimes they do see it differently. And so if we can just give them that platform where their ideas are, are fairly heard, that can be so powerful. 
Yeah, that, that reminds me a little bit of, it was an expression from Apple's uh, design team around their two products that you create with any, any endeavor. One is the actual physical product or digital product. And then the other is what you now have learned in the process. So it felt to me like that second product um, was that kind of smarter connected ecosystem, like to, to your point around the Stanford students uh, who are now potentially, I mean, it could alter the trajectory of their careers as they've, you know, demonstrated, you know, enormous kind of prowess, but also I think probably passion for the, um, for the, for the nature of the, the problem of, you know, solving for people with, um, you know, terminal diseases and, um, and inability to, um, you know, be able to live, live a, um, otherwise normal life in many ways. Yeah. Tim, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm curious what you think about, let me say it this way. I am struck by how one of the outcomes, a lot of these innovation practices relate to collaboration and new business relationships and new ways of communicating with one another. And those things can be really hard to measure. How do you mm-hmm. think we communicate well with, with, you know, um, experts and decision makers about these kinds of impacts and network effects and things that maybe aren't the traditional ROI that, that we might be looking to in government. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to two things. One is that love language, so under, understanding that there are different ways for people to connect to, or di- different kind of modes that they'll kind of go back to, to kind of break a problem down and understand what's the useful next step. Uh, but I think the other is like not, turning your back on on the people that you are ultimately doing this on behalf of. And I think that's the most powerful uh, component, honestly, of working in the federal space is, is the mission that binds teams. And which is why I think it was so easy to pick up a phone and call somebody at VA Health or talk to some, you know, buddy with um, kind of deeper policy understanding of kind of the financial implications. Um, I think that is the great, that mission is the great leveler. And when you've got the object of that mission, so the patients in this case, you're putting them in the driver's seat. I mean, that's why you get something that you'd refer to as a magical meeting or what some people would refer to as a magical meeting because it's it's real, it's raw, it's authentic, and it's immediate. There's a, a, a visceral connection to why everybody is there. And I think that is absolutely a way to drive, uh, to drive chain and take any kind of iota of abstraction, like, this is why we are doing this. This is why it's important. And this is why it either needs to be funded or it needs to be accelerated. Does that really just come down to leadership in your mind then that, you know, putting people first, like we just have to put them first and leaders just need to say, put them first. Or do you think that there are like tricks of the trade? Cause, cause one of the things I caught from the um, discussion with Sandeep is the idea that you don't want people coming at the end. You don't want to do all the work and all the innovation and all the tests and then say, oh, what about the people? What do they think? That that then becomes an afternoon thought. So, so do you think there are strategies about, about moving that to the front? Or is it just a matter of like leadership and vision? Uh, I, I, do th- I do think it is leadership comes in in terms of providing, I think, the context and making sure that we are um, maybe uh, teams are rallied around the right problems to solve. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of this is uh, can be very grassroots, particularly when you have robust impassioned and talented um, kind of pools, you know, pools of individuals, pools of talent in, in these agencies. I think um, having the courage and, you know, potentially the vulnerability to be able to 
um, just quietly listen and and create a system that allows people to identify uh, what they believe some of these um, you know problems to be solved or jobs to be done are, and then um, you know helping them uh, kind of de-risk it and get after it. Yeah, it strikes me that maybe too the other secret ingredient is giving your team a little bit of time and a little bit of runway to explore things like like Sandeep talked about Kidney X, how that really started, not because anyone said this needs to happen. And to your point, it was very grassroots, but like the fact that they had enough initiative and enough leeway to say, we should go after this and make it happen. Um, that if you like almost overpack your teams or overschedule your teams, then maybe you have a whole different problem on your hands where you're really not able to, to, to get that new innovation in that new space. If, if there's no room to, to, to find something new in your, your work day or in your, yeah. you know, your role. Yeah, I, I think you're I think you're absolutely right. Thanks to our listeners of this episode of The Federal Innovator. Make sure to check out our other episodes where we touch on the challenges and importance of innovation across the federal ecosystem. Thank you for listening to The Federal Innovator, brought to you by Accenture. At Accenture, we're helping the federal government do the extraordinary things it takes to create a better future for everyone. See how we're delivering this new future faster. Visit AccentureFederal.com to learn more.